0: To Marissa's Wicked Word Nosh, a place to chow down on topics relevant to writers of all kinds. Hello and welcome to Marissa's Wicked Word Nosh. I'm Marissa, and this is a fortnightly podcast in which I talk about a wide variety of writing and reading related topics. The reason I'm doing it on a fortnightly basis now because I was doing it on a weekly basis up until a few weeks ago, is that I'm now doing a second podcast. That one is called The Victorian Variety Show. I've done three full episodes of it so far, and I like it. Hopefully, my listeners do too. I try to make it a little different from this one, because even though I like doing a podcast every week, because I just love podcasting in general and doing the research and preparation for each episode. I'm interested in so many different topics that it's good to be able to switch back and forth between them. And I'm finding that taking a two-week break between episodes of each podcast makes me more enthusiastic when it's time to do new episodes for either one of them, if that makes sense. Basically, I need the structure in my life that doing a podcast episode a week gives me. But I also get a little bored when I'm doing the same type of thing week in and week out. So this is working out well so far, at least I think. Anyway, if you would like to check out the Victorian Variety Show, I'll put a link to the latest episode, which is on the Victorian Freak Show, in the notes for this one. And I'll have a new episode of that up next week. And then the next episode of Marissa's Wicked Word Nosh will drop two weeks from today. Anyway, after everything I just said about my two podcasts not being the same type of thing, it turns out that there is a bit of crossover this week. I guess it's bound to happen when you have a literary podcast that occasionally gets into history and a history podcast in which I talk about arts and culture. I'm not planning to do it much but every once in a while, I like to focus an episode on one specific writer. And the one I'm discussing this week is associated mainly with the Edwardian era, which lasted from 1901 to 1910, according to a lot of sources. But others that I consulted extend the end to the beginning of World War I. But anyway, this writer was born in 1870, which was smack dab in the middle of the Victorian era, hence the crossover I was just referring to. His name is Hector Hugh Monroe, but he's also known by his pseudonym, Saki, which, according to a number of resources I consulted, is based on a character from the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. He was born in British Burma, which was then part of British India, and is now Myanmar, but was sent to live with his grandmother and aunts in England at an early age. I try not to talk about a writer's background too much when I devote an entire episode to one of them, not because I don't feel it's important, because I definitely do, but more because this podcast is generally geared more toward a writer's craft than toward biography. But in this case, I think it's necessary to discuss Monroe's background, First of all, because many of the stories that he's known for, and according to Wikipedia, quote, he is considered by English teachers and scholars as a master of the short story, end quote. A lot of Munro's works feature intimidating older women who very likely were inspired by the aunts who raised Munro and his siblings. But also Having been born in a British colony to a father who was an official in the Indian Imperial Police, Monroe was a product of British colonialism, and the atmosphere of British colonialism can be seen in a large number of his satirical pieces. In addition, most of the sources I consulted paint Munro's views as largely right-wing for his time. In an essay called Saki, Where the Wild Things Are, The late Christopher Hitchens, a writer whom I've professed admiration for in the past, despite the fact that I disagreed with him on a number of issues. In his early 40s, Monroe, quote, began to throw off some of the languor and ennui with which he had invested so many of his scenes and characters and became extremely exercised about the empire that he had quite often lampooned. Perhaps as a result of his experiences in Russia and the Balkans as a correspondent for a high Tory newspaper, he emitted grave warnings about an imminent German invasion and even wrote an alarmist novel, When William Came, about how British life might feel under the Prussian heel of Kaiser Wilhelm, end quote. Basically, I think it's safe to assume that Monroe wanted Britain to remain powerful and in control of its colonies, and it's understandable that some potential readers might be put off by some of his views. I personally think the benefits of reading Monroe outweigh those of not reading him, especially in the U.S., because I definitely don't think he's as well-known as he could be here. But I also think we need to acknowledge controversial views writers of the past had. And I don't believe we should just dismiss them by saying, but that's the way people thought at the time. I mean, that very well may have been the case, but that certainly doesn't make it right. So, um, so yeah. So, I, I mean, this is something that I grapple with as somebody with who likes to read and somebody with a literary podcast what do you do with writers that have some problematic views i um i definitely think you need to acknowledge that they had those views um and you you, you know you can't excuse it um i I like to think writers with a wit as brilliant as Munro's would be more forward-thinking and progressive than the other Toms, Dicks, and Harrys of his day, but unfortunately, that often was not the case. So, yeah, again, I think we definitely need to acknowledge problematic views. Anyway, even though Munro was born in the Victorian era, most of his best-known works, including his short story collections featuring the ever-mischievous Reginald, the Chronicles of Clovis, the Unbearable Bassington, and super beasts and Superbeasts and the aforementioned When William Came were published in the Edwardian era. Wikipedia notes the Edwardian era, quote, is sometimes portrayed as a romantic golden age of long summer afternoons and garden parties, basking in a sun that never sets on the British Empire. This perception was created in the 1920s and later by those who remembered the Edwardian era with nostalgia, looking back to their childhoods across the abyss of the Great War, End quote. When you read Monroe, you definitely get a sense of that golden age. A number of his stories take place at elaborate parties. And you can almost picture the upper class characters playing croquet or lounging about, smoking fancy cigarettes and even fancier holders, and talking a lot about nothing in particular. And I would say the reason Munro's bitter portrayals of them are so entertaining to so many readers is that he knew that crowd so well. It may seem weird that he poked fun at a group that he was pretty much a member of, but some of his wit is so acerbic that it's hard to imagine an outsider pulling it off quite as well, or getting away with it. Although in an article I'm posting a link to in the notes called The Dark Satire of H.H. Munro," Alex Mayer refers to this more or less as Munro's quote-unquote meanness, noting that he, quote, mocks the naivete of belief in progress and the triumph of middle class values. It is this cruelty and sheer pleasure derived from mockery that might explain why Monroe remains something of an obscurity, end quote. I don't know if meanness is a word I'd have used because of the negative connotation that that's likely to put in people's heads, especially those who haven't read Monroe, but it's important to note that he was very observant in his descriptions of his targets' behaviors and lifestyles and often seemed a little too willing to portray them in a less than flattering light. I think you need to be prepared to do that if you want to be a great satirist or satirist however you pronounce it but it does involve taking risks that some writers might be afraid to attempt either because of offending people or whatnot monroe didn't attack everyone however in fact he's noted for his portrayals of children and animals in a piece called "Analysis of Saki's H. 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 Munro's Stories," Nasrullah Mamdrol notes that Munro normally takes the side of the children and animals in his stories. Not so much because he saw them as innocent. Quite the opposite, actually. According to Mamdrol, Munro's portrayal of his "quote-unquote" adult subjects "quote" reveal all the malice pettiness, mediocrity, and self-interest of people intent on getting to the top or staying there. End quote. These are the kind of people we still see today. Individuals who don't care about a cause, but support it maybe because they think doing so will help improve their standing in the community or saying terrible things about people behind their backs or stabbing them in the backs to gain advantages over them but acting with the utmost grace toward them in person. We call this keeping up appearances sometimes. That seems to be a big part of what Munro attacked, the phoniness of it all. And I would call that conformity. Not thinking for yourself, and the young people in Munro's short fiction largely saw through it all. And I think they also gleefully upend social norms when they see the opportunities to do so. And Munro, I think, admired that. As for the animals, Munro often taps into the supernatural to endow them with personalities that are often more unique than those of his human characters. As Mombrall explains, quote, The beasts, almost as fierce as the children, tend to be independent or predatory wolves and guard dogs, cats great and small, elk, bulls, and boars figure in Saki's menagerie. Embodied forces of nature, these animals' right human wrongs are counterpoised by their example the mediocrity of man throughout Saki's works, end quote. So what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to read an excerpt from one of Munro's short stories because I have the complete... Saki in paperback by the way at the ready um i am going to read an excerpt from reginald's christmas revel i chose this piece because i think it can just give you a good idea of his witty writing style and how he portrayed his characters in a relatively short space and then the major gave us a graphic account of a struggle he had with a wounded bear. I privately wished that the bears would win sometimes on these occasions. At least they wouldn't go vaporing about it afterwards. Before we had time to recover our spirits, we were indulged with some thought reading by a young man whom one knew instinctively had a good mother and an indifferent tailor. The sort of young man who talks unflaggingly through the thickest soup and smooths his hair dubiously as though he thought it might hit back. So, that was fun. I'll make just a few observations about what I see in that passage. The part about the Major struggling with the bear hints at Monroe's tendency to sympathize with animals, I think. Because animals aren't likely to bore us with sordid details and braggadocio like humans often will. And I have to say, I am with Monroe on that. The young man smoothing his hair, quote, as though he thought it might hit back, end quote. I think this is just a really vivid detail. One other writers might have glossed over, and it shows how comprehensive Monroe's portrayals were. I mean, he got got them down to the last detail, you might say. Again, I could say more, but I think no matter how far removed we are from that time period and that type of background, we can relate to something in that piece, or at least vividly picture some image Munro was trying to convey. Also, I think we can see how valuable a skill brevity is for a writer. Many of Munro's stories are only two to three pages long in the anthology of his writings that I have, although some are certainly longer. But he was capable of capturing so much with just one or two details this is a skill that some writers are better at than others and i count myself in the others camp here because this is something i personally have a hard time with but i think munro can inspire all of us to at least try to say more by saying less again i feel munro should be more widely read particularly by fans of other witty writers like Oscar Wilde and Noel Coward, who wrote the, uh, the introduction to the anthology that I have, but also by those who are interested in the possibilities of the short story and those interested in history and fans of satire and even readers and writers looking for unique takes on the supernatural and the macabre. Although I think Munro will help you learn more about the Edwardian age, I also feel it's important to read him knowing about his background and his sympathies. And it's important to be critical of his views and to be aware of what some critics have referred to as meanness, even though I don't necessarily agree with that term. Whatever your views of Munro are after you read him, I think doing so will help you become a more perceptive and critical reader, and writers of many types can benefit greatly from studying some of his techniques, especially his ability to paint vivid descriptions in relatively few words. So anyway, let me know what you think, whether it's about Monroe or something else. Email me at marissadelefarfalle at gmail.com. And follow me on Twitter at at d 13 and on Instagram at www.instagram.com slash df 13 You can also check out my Buy Me A Coffee page at www.buymeacoffee.com slash df 13 where you can buy me a coffee, and if you do, I will personally thank you in an upcoming episode. And finally, I would really appreciate it if you can take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, as it'll help a lot more people find out about this show. Until next time, thank you so much for listening and helping me get the word out about this show. And if you're also listening to the Victorian Variety Show or if you're planning to start listening to it, thank you. Thank you so much for that. I will be back with a brand new reading and or writing related episode in two weeks. And in the meantime, I'm going to leave you with a line from Munro's story, Reginald's Peace Poem, which I think is good for writers to keep in mind, whether or not they're actually writing about peace. Quote, In writing about peace, the thing is to say what everybody else is saying, only to say it better. End quote. On that note, take care, stay safe, and um, peace out. This podcast is written and produced by Marissa Dele Farfalle and brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Learn more at www.anchor.fm.